This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Let's begin this time by committing ourselves to our Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the week that has passed. We thank you for the gathering here that we have today. As we come engaged with your word, that our hearts, Father, we pray, will be transformed by you, that our minds will acknowledge your truth, and that our hands will respond by the strength of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, what keeps you awake in the night? I'm not speaking about the orchestra from your spouse, or my son says the thunder. What keeps you awake in the night? That is what are the concerns that weigh in your hearts keeping you awake. Perhaps it's work, exams for those who are studying, finances, relationships, children, family members' health. What keeps you awake in the night? Now, as we have journeyed in the book of Acts, seeing how the gospel has spread from Jerusalem to the ends of the world, perhaps we should also ask this question of Jesus' first followers. What keeps the apostles of Jesus awake in the night? Now, we are told last week um, that they are in, or in various places, there are at least two things that occupies the mind of the missionary apostle Paul. There are two things. The first thing, he's occupied and concerned with his laboring for evangelism, that the gospel is preached, and he is concerned about the spiritual health of all the churches, whether those he established or those he have only heard about. And we see these two concerns at work, uh, even as he write letters. Let me just read to you an account where Paul described his own life in Second Corinthians chapter 11. Let me read this for you. Paul says this, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And these are all the toils for the gospel and the persecution. And then he moves on to verse 28. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concerns for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So Paul is constantly working hard to preach the gospel. He's constantly thinking about the churches that have come to know the Lord. Now his labor for churches are well known in the letters that he has written. He always seeks to strengthen and establish the faith of God's people. And this is how his letters came about. This morning or kind of afternoon, we'll be looking at part of Paul's letter to a Gentile church in Colossia. This letter came out of Paul's concern for their spiritual health. And in this short passage, Paul will address three things. First, he will tell them how he contends and fights for their faith, for the church. Second, he highlights the importance of establishing in truths. Because thirdly, he'll point out that you need truth to stand against deceptions that will come to you. So let me begin with just a brief background of Colossia and Paul's relationship with the church, and we'll dive into the letter itself. Now, Colossia was a place situated in the Lycus Valley. They have at the right um, 
bottom right of the map there. Um, Colossae is not a, a famous place. It has its more famous um, neighbors like Laodicea and um, the one up, up there higher, which is um, Herodia, uh, Heriopolis. Correct myself on that. It, it's not famous. It's not prominent. In fact, Paul was not the one that planted the church. Uh, he only heard about them um, through the evangelist, Epaphras, who preached to them. So Paul has no direct con- connection with the Colossians in Colossia. But yet, his concern for them resulted in him contending for them, praying for them, so that they may be spiritually strong to stand against oppositions. So come with me now as we look at chapter 2, verse 1 of Colossians, where Paul writes this, For I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Now now we may ask, how does Paul actually contend or fight for Christians or church that he has not even met? How does Paul work hard? How does Paul strive and struggle for Christians that he doesn't even know their faces? Well, one of the most significant ways Paul contends for churches is through prayer. Because Paul knows that when a person becomes Christian, it's not just a physical confession, it's very much a spiritual warfare. Because when someone believes in Jesus, there is spiritual consequences. Being rescued from darkness, from sin, from death. Being rescued for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Paul is well aware that when we, who once lived in darkness, now comes to Jesus, oppositions will come to them. Opposition comes in various various ways. It could be persecution, it could be temptation, or it could be deception. So Paul, being aware that Christians will face all this, he's also aware that Christians get discouraged, that we who are still prone to sin will end up in times struggle or strive or argue with other Christians or when we take cues from the world, we'll behave like the world. And that's why Paul prays for them. In fact, Epaphras, who was the one who preached to the Colossians, also prayed really hard for them. This is how Colossians kind of ended in chapter 4. Let me just read to you um, Paul's uh, mention of Epaphras who brought the gospel to them. Colossians 4, 12, it says this, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Now Paul's goal of contending for them, or even writing for them, is this. Look at verse 2. That they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Now, Paul has prayed previously in Colossians 1 that they will grow in their knowledge. Now in Colossians 2, he's praying that they will experience encouragement through unity in love as a church. Paul prays and hopes that there is an integration with their hearts and their experience and their minds so that they can fully experience the riches of Christ. But the question we, we hang on there is why is Paul contending so hard? 
He says that again, verse 4, so that no one may deceive them. Now, whether Paul has kind of heard news that they're kind of deceivers in Colossia, or he's merely um, giving them warning because deception is always around, Paul brings out this reality that deceivers will always try to deceive God's people. And unless you know how to, you cannot stand firm. The times of the Colossians, there are no shortage of kind of fine-sounding arguments. There were kind of different forms of Gnosticism or myths and traditions that aim to deceive believers from the gospel. But the same goes for our time, isn't it? In our time, we are not short of fine-sounding arguments that seek to deceive God's people. Now, I remember many years ago when I was kind of a kid turned youth, there was this guy who came and knocked at my door and he wanted to share the gospel with me. I sat down and listened. He gave me a magazine with interesting pictures of Jesus and of children mingling with animals, even tame lions. And, and I was so intrigued as he tells me about um, Jesus. And in fact, I was so intrigued that as he left my house, he went to the neighbor's house. I kind of followed him, and while he was having conversation, I, I went to ask and offered to buy booklets that he was trying to sell, this orange little booklet, in the hope that my enthusiasm will intrigue my neighbor to also give him a listening ear. But as I grew up, or later on actually, as I engaged with the materials later uh, with people, that I realized that it was actually a cult. Their version of heaven is only restricted to a hundred odd thousand people. Their Christianity, Christ was created, there was no trinity, and the cross is not really the central of everything. Be careful of fine-sounding arguments that deceive. The Apostle Paul knows the key to authentic faith and resisting um, deception is by knowing the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that is in him, not just as we read the Bible by ourselves, we cannot just assume that we can, but as a body of Christ united in him, that we will experience the knowledge that we have in Christ and to experience Christ together as we face the deceptions that comes along. That's why Paul writes to encourage them, reminding them of Christ and reveals his own participation with them, even though he has not met them. In fact, this is what Paul says in verse 5. You know, though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is. And so having revealed that you know, Paul he has contended for the churches and the importance of being united, Paul now zooms in on the importance for a church to be firmly established in truths. Look at verse 6 and 7 with me. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in faith, in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul knows that Christians will never move away from Christ Jesus. Isn't it? Whom we have received as Lord, whether it's the Colossians, the Laodiceans, or us, we begin our new life in Christ, we continue to journey this new life in Christ, and we'll finish it up and receive what God has promised in Christ. And Paul uses picture words here from verse 6 and 7 to describe how we actually live in Christ. That's how we actually journey our day-to-day -day Christian 
life in Christ. Look at verse 7. He says Christians are to be kind of rooted in Christ. Rooted is a picture of a tree, kind of with deep roots that doesn't get uprooted easily or swayed by a gust of wind. If you have a bit of imagination as a Jew, or as a as a believer who's familiar with the Bible, you you think of Psalms one. Psalms one tells us the one who delights and meditates on God's word is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. And Paul's point when he talks about being rooted is that Christians are rooted in Christ by by knowing His word. And by meditating on his word. That's how Christians get rooted. And the second picture word was built up. In verse 7 again. Well perhaps, if you think of building up, you think of a building. And perhaps you can think of a building that is well built on rocks. Instead of a shady house built on sand. Jesus gave such an example in Matthew 7, isn't it? That those who hear his word and obeys are like, firm house that does not fall. So again, Paul calls the church to know Christ's teaching so that we can obey Him. Now, dear brothers, sisters, friends, how are we living our lives? This is the reality. How we live our lives as Christians depends fully on how we recognize who Jesus is. If we think Jesus is Lord and Savior, we will come to Him and know that salvation comes from Him alone. If we know that Jesus is Lord and has overcome sin and death, then darkness, evil and death would not have a grip on us. We believe that there is only one God and one Jesus, Lord and Savior. We will not worship other gods or even the deceased. We believe that it is in Jesus the greatest mystery in the world that God has for us is revealed. We will not run after secrets and ways that promises us um, knowledge of things out of this world. How we live our lives depend totally on how we understand Christ to be. Whether it's fine-sounding arguments of the first century that suggest secret knowledge or spiritual deceptions that comes in various forms, common in Greek or Roman culture as well as our culture in Asia, our defense against all of this is to understand the authentic truth about our Lord Jesus Christ as taught in the Bible. So, in fact, verse 6 and 7 are arguably the central message of this letter to the Colossians, that our understanding of and our response to Christ, Jesus as Lord, are central to how we begin, how we remain, and how we finish as a Christian. And this is how we stay rooted, how we stay built up, and how we will be strengthened in our faith. So the question for us is to kind of just pause here is, how are you and I doing in growing in our knowledge and love of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are establishing firmly in Christ and His teaching in order that we can face what is ahead of us. In fact, Paul goes on to say that our understanding and response to Christ as Lord is the source of thankfulness. A writer once wrote this, 
that our thankfulness to God is a good test of our spiritual state. In fact, let me quote what he says. A thankless spirit betrays a life which is no longer focusing on the greatness of Christ. A thankless spirit betrays a life which is no longer focusing on the greatness of Christ. Are we living in growing understanding and love for our Lord Jesus Christ? Are we strengthening in faith as we meditate on God's Word? Are we thankful for Christ and for all that He has given us, including the church? If we are not rooted and not built up in Christ, it will cause us to go the opposite, isn't it? To be weakened in faith and take cues from the worldly wisdom and be shaken whenever something comes in and we don't really know how to handle it. If you are not established in authentic truth, we'll struggle to live rooted and built up lives in Christ Jesus. And worse still, we may sway when the winds of hollow, deceptive philosophies come our way and we wouldn't really know how to respond to it. Because the only way to respond to deceitful, clever, hollow human philosophy is the Word of God, which is where verse 8 to 10 brings us to. Let me read verse 8 to 10 for us. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, when Paul speaks about philosophy, he is not talking about the specific academic study of philosophy you have in uni now. The, the Greek word for philosophy basically means the love of wisdom. So Paul is referring to the wider scope of viewing and interpreting our world, specifically using human traditions and elemental spiritual forces of this world. Now, the Jewish apologists they, of Paul's time, they'll be happy to call their religious system philosophy. The Greco-Roman pagan cults, they'll be happy to call their tradition, mysticism, and all the other hidden knowledge as philosophies. It is a sick aftering of wisdom. In Paul's day, you have the Jewish, you have the Gentile teachers who claim to have superior knowledge about life, perhaps teachings that are kind of mixed with Jewish or Greek cultures and traditions add together. The Jews, as well as the Greco-Roman philosophers, they would also reinforce, you know what, the more traditional or historical our tradition is, the more valid it is. So they'll hinge on tradition to build up um, their, their knowledge. Or they will say, you know what, these are hidden wisdom passed on that only few know. And using secrecy will bring more attraction and potency to what the knowledge will claim to have. Now with regards to kind of elemental spiritual forces of this world, we kind of being immersed in Asian culture will perhaps have a slight advantage to our brothers and sisters in the, in the West where Things are kind of in encyclopedia style, that everything is compartmentalized. But not so, perhaps in Asia. The elemental um, spiritual forces can be kind of understood in, in a few different ways. The, the elements understood in Paul's day could easily refer to kind of 
cosmic power of stars, of sun, of moon, and they are kind of personified and attached with some power. Or perhaps they could also refer to substances such as the earth, the water, the air, the fire, which keeps the world in balance. Well, if you're Chinese, you kind of find that this is not too foreign because even in Chinese medicine, we don't compartmentalize. You have problem with this, you deal with this, but we kind of deal with the whole balance of body. And furthermore, in ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world, where Paul lives in, they will also recognize the elemental spiritual forces, perhaps to be those of the spiritual world whether it's those spirits, deities, gods, even angels. And in that, they rule with fear over humans. Paul warns of being captivated, of being held prisoners of such hollow and deceptive philosophies. He goes on in Colossians 2, which we don't get to read today, that he goes on to speak about circumcisions, Jewish festivals, the worship of angels, even philosophy that despise the body, but yet unable to resist sensual indulgence. He points to both the Jewish traditions as well as Gentile influence and warns of how easy it is to be kind of held captivated and prisoned by those so-called wisdoms of human traditions and elemental spiritual forces. We see the same when Paul spoke to the Galatians in the letter of Galatia, which we read in our responsive reading. Let me just recall for us what we read just now. Galatians 4, 8-9. to Paul says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? The philosophy Paul warns, the Colossians, are not foreign to us in Asia. We are familiar with elemental spiritual forces of the world where the ghost man's festivals are kind of carefully observed, where the search in temple visits, even by the intellectuals during exams, for weddings or special occasions. Now, even many Chinese Christians today continue to fear certain numbers, continue to follow certain superstitions, and continue to kind of mix certain traditions with faith. In fact, some professing Christians remain entangled with traditional religion, religious philosophies such as retribution or karma and various things that was from previous because this um, deception comes back to them. No, we may even be embraced by kind of repackaged, but not so new age or modern philosophies that tells us, you know what, we have unlimited power to achieve everything we want in this world. We're almost like gods. Perhaps they don't always use that word. Or perhaps some are challenged by previous real spiritual forces that they have left behind. I remember a account explained to me during a mission trip many, many years back up at Ching Rai, northern Thailand, the mountains. There was this man who lives in the animist, ancestral worshipping village. And this man comes to know the Lord. And as you should expect, the village is not happy and persecution is real. He held on to it. It was real, he held on to it. But then... 
One night, on a stormy night, he had a dream. He dreamt his mom came to him, soaked wet, crying and said, Son, my house is broken. I'm hungry. There's no food. He woke up the next morning. He's kind of disturbed. He went to the tomb. The kind of tomb was broken. Well, you know what? It's not too difficult to fix a tomb. But what happens to the dream? Will he now go back to sacrificing food? Because his mom is hungry. Is that his mom <laughs> anyway? You know what? When persecution fails, there will be other ways to kind of draw you uh, to turn with deception. And, and Asians, one of the things that really strike to the core of our being is filial piety, isn't it? He can't be struck by persecution. And now he says, you're such an unfilial son if you leave your mom hungry. And, and that is a challenge for him, isn't it? And there are many, many various variations of such accounts that we'll not be surprised to hear uh, just living in Asia and just being around. The philosophy Paul warns of is familiar to many Christians who are familiar with animistic ancestral worship where the deep secret lies in the occult or where fear rules when the authority of spirits are questioned or where there is a connection for us to them. Paul's warning for the Colossians is equally relevant even to us today, isn't it? Back in Colossians 2 verse 8, Paul says, They say to it that no one takes you captive through hollow, deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now the question is this, how do we actually resist hollow, deceptive philosophy of the world? It is at this point that Paul's bring us back to the very reason why Christians are Christians. Look with me to verse 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. Now see how Paul contrasts the hollow human philosophy with the full and divine Christ, who is authenticated by his physical presence in our human history. Now, what will establish Christian faith and enable us to resist deception is ultimately Christ's truth, isn't it? And it is Christ's bodily birth, visible living, tangible death, and physical resurrection that declares what is real authority and real power. It is the life and message of the historical Jesus that the Bible has explained to us that reveals what is true power compared to the hollow and deceptive philosophy of the world. The world's philosophy is based on tradition and spiritual forces, but they will leave us empty. But in Christ, we have been brought to fullness. Now Christ is the point and the very means for us to have access to the ultimate reality of everything we need to know in our life. 
Christ in Him that we are filled because of what He has done and what He has offered for us. It is in Christ when He dies that He pays the price of sin and solves the problem of injustice. And it's in His resurrection that Jesus offers us eternal life that the hollow, deceptive philosophy of the world tries to offer but gives you nothing. In fact, Galatians 4 just now tells us how we were previously under slavery to elemental spiritual forces of the world, but everything has changed. Let me read to us Galatians 4.3 that we've all read just now. We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world, but when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And then he goes on that we are no longer a slave, but we are God's children. And since we are God's children, God make us heir. In Christ, we have been brought to fullness. We have been set free from slavery. We are made children of God. We are receiving inheritance of heaven. All these are given to us, not by hollow human deceptions based on tradition and spiritual forces, but based on the physical Jesus Christ. The bodily, the, the physical, the bodily birth, His visible life, the tangible death, and ultimately his bodily resurrection that secures and affirms everything that he has promised to us. So dear brothers and sisters, as a church, as we listen to what Paul has said, that we too need to see the importance that we are and we are rooted in and built in and established in the truth about our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul has journeyed for us in these 10 verses, three things, isn't it? He contended for the, for the church to have authentic faith. He, he told them, in fact, he taught them and established them in the truth of Jesus Christ in order that they can resist deception that comes to the rest of um, the surrounding around us. So as a church, May we be encouraged to be established every time when we open up scriptures that let the word of God be real to us because it is life and death. When we read God's word carefully and meditate on his truth, that we do it regularly because that is our food. And as we care for each other in church in conversation, perhaps it's good to use scriptures and prayer more than just the conversations of the world of sports or the various things that we are bothered with. And then let us be occupied with Christ rather than traditions or the spiritual forces of the world. There are many ways we can do this in BTPC. We can encourage each other with truth and love as we gather for Bible studies each week. We can read the Bible and pray Bible passages that differentiate us from other kind of gatherings. We can share books, articles, resources that can actually build our faith. If you're a new Christian, there are plenty of resources in Matthias Media that, that can help us. Things like Two Ways to Live. You can ask from why. I'm sure he always has some in his bag. Or Introducing God. 
Or even books like, can you trust what the gospel says about Jesus? The list goes on. Or perhaps you decide, you know what? Why don't I just join a class if you have one, Andrew? I say, there is one. In five weeks' time, there is Back to Basics, which we aim for those who are baptizing or wants to be member. But join one if you think that you actually can't remember the foundations of your Christian faith, or you're just, you've never been a Christian, but you want to know what Christians actually live and die on. Join us in five weeks' time on Saturday in church. I will, I would love to have you there. Or perhaps sign up for a Project Timothy event. That's going to happen at the at the break time of your Bible study group. Go as a group, perhaps, and uh, be established in God's truth. There are many opportunities to establish in His Word and to be strengthened, which not only prevents us from deception, but that we will overflow with thankfulness. So let me close as I read one more time Colossians 2, verse 6 to 7, and then we'll pray. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Paul's timely reminder that we need to contend for our faith and that we might be encouraged in heart and united in love. Thank you for Paul's reminder on the importance of being established in your truth instead of being swept away by the ways and deceptions of the world. Help us to grow in our understanding of the works and the words of Christ Jesus our Lord. And just as we have received Christ Jesus as our Lord, help us to continue to live our lives in Him. For His glory we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.